Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen, amen. When you do that, you can you can find your seat. <clears throat> Welcome. Welcome to Numa Church this morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? We're good, blessed. Amen. If you're visiting here for the first time, or maybe you've been here before, but you have it's been a while. Welcome or welcome back to Numa Church. We love you already, your your family. If you don't have a church of your own, we, we would welcome you here with open arms. Amen. Um, there's a lot of people that continue to be be sick, especially kids, man. Kids are they're they're dropping with the flu left and right. And um, Layla, actually, after a week of, of strep throat, she, uh, she had a little fever last night again. So I don't know what's going on with that girl, man, but, uh, you know, pray. Pray for our kids. Pray for, for this season. This is a season where, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get together with family and, and eat good food, right, and, and uh, have a good time. But, uh, you know, flu season, no joke. Amen. So, so be careful out there. And wash your hands, you nasties. Amen. All right. I tell Layla, I'm like, do you not wash your hands? Is that why you're always sick? Like, <laughs> but amen. Um, we're going to get into the word this morning and I want you to turn with me. If you have your Bibles to first Corinthians chapter two, um, just, just hold it there for a little bit. First Corinthians chapter two verses 10 through 16 verse verses 10 through 16. Amen. When you have it, you can give me a nice Amen. amen. I would encourage all of you to read the, uh, the letter to the Corinthian church, read first Corinthians, second Corinthians, man, so much good instruction there for the church and for us as just in, individuals. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of context here. Paul opens up first Corinthians and, you know, he's talking about spiritual unity as we, as believers, we've all been united by the same spirit, um, to Christ Jesus. That's, that's kind of how he opens up the letter. But the broader point that Paul is trying to make is he's trying to call the believers to wisdom. And, and he's talking to a lot of Christians who haven't yet learned wisdom. And just to be clear, when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about worldly wisdom, right? We're talking, we're talking about a wisdom that looks nothing like the world. True wisdom actually looks like foolishness to the world. Um, Paul says in, 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 in verse t- uh, 20 of chapter 1, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? I also like what he says in verse 27. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Man, I love that. The world might think that it's foolish to pray to a God that you can't see, that you can't hear. But the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess, every eye shall see the glory of God. And it's going to bring shame to the wise in this world. And so we've been called to this wisdom. You've been called to this wisdom. I've been called to this wisdom. And Paul is talking to a lot of Christians here that are still drinking spiritual milk when it's time for them to be eating some solid food. You know, when, when you come to God, you're going to come with, with um, you know, kind of in baby stage, uh, with, with infancy, right? You're not going to know all that is godly. You're not going to know all of that. But the whole idea of discipleship is that you begin to learn from the ways of Jesus. You begin to reflect Christ. You begin to speak in a godly way and think in a godly way. We're called to reflect the image of God, right? And not just the image of God, but also the mind of God. 
You know, when I hear people talk about the image of God, nine times out of 10, we talk about the image of God as if it's something on the outside, right? We talk about it as, you know, we shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't dress like the world. We shouldn't behave like the world. All that's true. But when God made man in his image, he wasn't concerned with the physical. He was concerned with the spirit. When God said, let us make man in our image, he wasn't saying, let's make sure man dresses like us. Let's make sure man likes the same things that we like because God, the father is a spirit, right? And so when, when the, when the scriptures talk about the eyes, the hands, the feet of, uh, of God, it's using what's known as anthropomorphic language, which is to assign human attributes to something that is not human. That's the, that's the way that we understand an incomprehensible God. And, and so when Jesus came into the world, then the Bible says he became flesh. It was at that point that God, the son took on flesh, but God, the father is, and has always been a spirit. So in the beginning, when God said, let's make man in our image, he wasn't talking about the outer part of man. He was talking about the inner part of man. And so what does it mean to bear the image of God? It means to reflect the mind of God, the character of God and the will of God. You might speak like a Christian, but what's going on in your head? Come on. It's going to sting a little bit this morning, I guess. That's what Paul is talking about this morning. I want to just give you a little bit of uh, of that context. Uh, That's his concern. For this church that is still in its infancy. And so we begin at verse 10. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a little bit. First Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. We have it. Amen. It says these things, these things talking about wisdom. God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay, that makes sense. But verse 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. Listen to this. Verse 14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of God, um, uh, the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood, uh, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we, somebody say, we, we. have the mind of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word, my God, that you first spoken over your servant, my God. And I just pray, Lord, that you anoint these lips, Father God, that they just be, uh, they, they just be a vessel, Father God. I, I want to just be a vessel this morning, Father God. I want you to speak, Father God. And I want us to receive this word, Father God, with open minds and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. The, the, the Greeks, they had this philosophic principle that said, like can only be known by like, or, or put another way, kind can only be known by kind. So like, you know, humans, we like to study things, right? Um, and so humans, we, we could under, we could study dogs, for example, um, and we can get pretty close to understanding dogs and the, their behaviors, but we're not going to ever have the mind of a dog. So we can't really understand them fully. We, we have a cat and I can't, any cat people in here? I'm not a cat person, but, but my, my daughter is, and we have this cat and I, I, we just can't figure him out. Um, I think cats like to keep it mysterious on purpose to mess with us. And, and so like, he'll cuddle you one moment and make you think that he loves you. 
And then the next moment he'll be hiding under the bed waiting for you to walk and to like assassinate you with his claws. And um, we just, we just can't figure him out. Uh, I, I, we don't have a mind of, of cats. I don't, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure them out. Men will probably never understand women. Women will never understand men. I will never understand what the deal is with like the fake eyelashes and like the fake nails and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know. And I tried it and Melissa like explains it to me and I'm so, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I don't, I don't have the mind of a woman. Right. And and, and many Greeks, they believed that it was impossible to understand God even a little bit, right? Because now I, I, I get not understanding God completely, right? There's no way his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But, but the Greeks believed that there was no point in even trying to comprehend God. And so this gave rise to what's known as deism. I'll give me a little bit of history lesson. Deism, well, actually one of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, he was a deist. And deists believe in God, but they believe that God doesn't have anything to do with his creation. So basically it was like a, a set it and forget it kind of deal because it's impossible to know anything about God. God just doesn't, he just doesn't care about his creation. And so I wanted to give you that context because that was the, that was what Paul was writing with in mind. He had in mind this, this culture of, of deism and, and like, like can only understand what like is and we'll never be under, we'll never be able to understand God. And so Paul writes with that way of thinking in mind. And then verse 10, he addresses it. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But we have received the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, it's the spirit that connects us to the mind of Christ. The spirit is the bridge to the divine. When we're down here in flesh land, it's he who convicts. It's he who reveals. It's he who imparts wisdom from the very mind of God. It's the spirit. The spirit is the one who transforms our mind. And so Paul is telling these people, you now have the mind of Christ. Why are you still thinking like the world? If you, if you haven't surrendered your thoughts to God, What's going to happen? You're going to dwell in your thoughts a little too long. A little too long and, and, you, and some thoughts that you probably shouldn't be dwelling on. If, if you're still thinking like the world, that may very well lead to you looking like the world. And so I, I gave this, this sermon the title, Spirit People. Um, because this passage is c- contrasting two types of people. Those who dwell in the spirit and those who dwell in the natural. And we as Christians, we've been called to walk in the the spirit, right? Uh, Paul tells the Galatians to, to walk by the spirit as to not gratify the desires of your flesh, right? To walk in the flesh means to abandon wisdom. To walk in the flesh means to make yourself vulnerable to sin and to temptation. To walk in the flesh means to walk in the natural. And Paul says something very interesting in verse 14 where he says, A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, when you think about this verse, you probably think about a person who has rejected the Spirit of God altogether. They're an unsaved, non-believing person, right? But given that even we as believers many times walk in the flesh, I think we can apply this to ourselves, I know you don't walk in the spirit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody say amen if you do. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. (laughs) 
You, you, I mean, you, you, prob- you can probably think of several times just this week where you operated in the flesh and not the spirit. I, I, I know there's a little flesh when, that, that comes out when somebody gives you attitude. Ooh, I know I've been, I've been out with some of y'all to eat when the, when the waitress is a little rude. I've seen how y'all react. I know there's some flesh that comes out when, you're, when your kids are working your nerves, right? I, I know when your emotions, they get triggered, you react in the natural. I'm willing to bet that most Christians walk in the flesh more often than we walk in the spirit. Not at church. Church, we're all spiritual. We, man, we got our Sunday best. We look, we look good. We put the, the anointing oil over our heads to make sure that nothing, nothing gets us today, right? We're, we're walking in the spirit of the Lord. We come to church with a smile on our faces. We, we lift up our hands. And, and everybody thinks we're, we're all spiritual people in here, but we, we, we know what's up. We know you're going to go outside. You're gonna, you're, they're going to take a little too long to get your order at the restaurant, and you're going to start losing it. Because I think most of the times... We don't operate in the spirit. We operate in the, in the flesh. Paul had to tell the Galatian church, Christian people walk by the spirit. Shouldn't that be obvious? Well, yes, but sometimes the flesh takes over. And, and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1. It says, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. He's talking to Christians because as Christians, we're still prone to walking in the flesh. And you know what church, if we're walking in the flesh, we're thinking in the flesh and we cannot produce wisdom that way. And look, I'm not even talking about things like that we would consider sin. Like Paul isn't talking about a bunch of sinners who are going clubbing every weekend, right? Who are consumed with addictions, right? Who practice evil things. He's just saying there are some areas where you haven't Given the spirit of God control of your mind, which is keeping you immature in certain places. Man, I made some stupid decisions as a believer because I wasn't thinking like Christ. I didn't give God my mind in that moment. I, you know, I, I used to think that it was kind of silly to pray before, um, before like buying a car or, or buying like anything expensive. I just thought, look, just buy the car if you can afford it. Don't buy it if you can't afford it, right? That's pretty cut and dry, It's a good rule of thumb, but that doesn't account for the natural desire that I have. We'll just use myself as an example to want the nicer things. And so to be tempted to buy the things that I can't afford in a moment of weakness. I I had to learn this a hard way. When we first got married, we bought a car that we couldn't afford. And y'all might be thinking it was like a Mercedes or or like a, like a Beamer. It was like a Nissan Altima. Uh, (laughs) But it was real, it was decked out, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, top of the line, right? And, and so, three months into marriage, we go to the dealership. Um, Melissa's uh, car was kind of giving her trouble. And instead of me thinking to just take it in, I was like, yeah, let's just buy another car. So, we, 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 take it, we take it in. And, of course, we tell each other, look, we're just looking, right? We're just, we're just going to look. We're not, we're not buying anything. Let's, let's be wise here, right? And so, we go to the dealership. You know, those, those, those car salesmen back there. <laughs> hey, brother Andrew, he's top salesman, man. Go, go, go to him. Amen. But, but we, we, we go, we go to the dealership and, and, uh, we see this car, we test drive it and we like it. And, and we start asking each other, should, should we do this? And we, we didn't, we don't, we don't go to God, right? We're, we're like, I, I think I'm financially savvy. Right. And so I, I take out my calculator and I just 
do some rough math. I'm like, okay, well, these are our expenses. I didn't account for like groceries. I didn't account for, for like fun. I didn't account for gas insurance, any of that, just like our mortgage and a few other things. And, I, and, 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 and we took our income, we deducted the two numbers and we're like, yeah, we can afford the payments. Three months later, we were back at the dealership trying to take it back, but we, they didn't let us because we were already upside down. And so we were, you know, stuck with this $600 payment for a Nissan Altima uh, for the next few years, if only, man, if only I had sought wisdom in that moment, if only I had, you know, let the spirit uh, take control of, of me in that moment of weakness because I saw something in the flesh that I wanted. If only I possessed the spirit of God all day, every day, in every situation, in every encounter with people, I would have the wisdom who was from God. The whole point of, of the letters to the churches. Like, like Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Philippians, Thessalonians. The whole point of this was to instruct Christians on godly living. You have to understand that, that when the churches received these letters, they were brand new Christians. They didn't, they didn't know doctrine. They didn't know how to be a Christian. And so the apostles who wrote these letters, they were excited to see so many Christians have a transformation of heart. But they were still thinking like the world. Imagine having the mind of Christ and you're still thinking like the world. This is why so many people don't grow. This is why so many people stay stuck. They never mature in their faith. They struggle with the same things. They can't grow up because they have continued walking in the flesh in certain areas. Maybe you're not sinning all the time. Maybe you've been called out of of the world, but you're still thinking like the world in certain areas of your life. Maybe in the way that you raise your kids. Maybe in the way that you speak to your spouse. You think like the world. Maybe the way that you deal with stress. You think like the world. I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I, don't, I don't think it's silly anymore to pray before buying a car or buying a house or getting a job or, or rejecting a job offer. I think we should always console the Holy Spirit no matter what it is, you know? And, but here's the thing. Look, it doesn't mean you're going to get the answers, right? When, 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 I, when I tell somebody, have you, when I ask them, have you prayed about it? I'm not, I'm not asking them how they prayed about it to see if they got an answer from God. You pray about it. You spend time with God because even though you might not get an answer, you will get wisdom. Paul, Paul is saying that wisdom, that the wisdom of God, it comes from the spirit of God. Therefore, communion with the spirit is necessary. The, the more time you spend walking by the spirit the more wisdom will be deposited into your life. But a lot of times we don't seek wisdom. We seek answers. We spend time with God when we want answers. This is why you start seeing people come to church when they're going through, through, through some type of issue because they want answers. And then once everything is good again, they're back at it. When people are struggling with something, man, man they'll get into prayer. They'll, they'll, they'll get a prayer closet. They'll remove all that, all that nasty, all that evil from their house. And then, you know what? We're going we're gonna to stay committed to God. And then when life is good again, they're back at it. It's because so many times we go to God seeking answers, not wisdom. It's like, it's like you know, going when, when if, if you were in school, I know most of us probably didn't read the textbooks. What did we do when it was time for the test? Then we crammed. That's when we read the book, when it was test time. Uh, There was this, there was this kid in seventh grade, man. Uh, He sold test. uh, He he sold test answers. Well, it was bacon, man. I remember him like, like fanning out. They were like tens, right? But it's a lot for seventh grader. 
And, and, and because no one wants to learn. No one wants to grow. They, they just want answers. That's the easiest thing is just to get the answers. I don't want to spend time studying the material. I don't want to spend time learning. Just give me the answers. That's quick. Just give me what I need to get to the next level. This is, this is, this is how you end up with so many professionals who don't know anything about their profession because they passed the test, but they didn't learn anything. Just give me what I need to get to the next level. I'm afraid so many Christians, they age in their walk with God without ever maturing. This is, this is how you're left with 20, 20 year life Christians who are still battling the same struggles as when they came into the walk with God. It's not like we don't have resources, man. We have the word of God. Some of you got like 10 Bibles. We don't read any of them. Come on. Buying, buying Bibles is like a hobby for some people. We all, we all have the spirit, Paul says. We have the mind of Christ. It's been given to us, but you're still living in the natural. You're still walking in the natural. You haven't learned when, when the resource is right here, when you have access to God. The Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, just ask because it's already there. But you seek answers. Anytime I talk about wisdom, I can't not talk about Solomon, right? Solomon was considered the, the wisest king to have ever lived. And he was wise because he sought wisdom. He asked God for a discerning heart. Lord, give me a discerning heart. His, his dad, his father, David, had just passed away. Big shoes to fill. King David, probably the greatest king in all of Israel. And, and Solomon is young. And he's like, God, I don't know how to do this. I've never been king before. I've, I've taken some notes from my dad, you know, here and there, but I've not, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm young. And God says, ask me of anything and I will grant it to you. And he says, give me a discerning heart. And God gives him wisdom. Solomon could have just said, God, give me the answers when it's time for me to make a decision. Just give me the money. That'll fix some problems. Just give me a bigger army. Give, give me the resources. But he asked for the one thing that would require him to be close enough to discern. Wisdom requires that you constantly be close enough to God. That's how you learn. Yes or no? When you're learning from somebody, you have to be, you have to be close to them. You have to see how they do it. You know, I, I anytime it's, it, it, it's hard I'm going to have to throw you on the bus a little bit, dad. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, my, my, I would ask my dad, you know, for help for certain things. And, you know, my dad's like me, you know, let's just, let's just do it and let's be done with it. Right. Let's, so a lot of times he'll just do it. And I'm like, how'd you do that? Like, you know, teach me. Oh, that's already done. <laughs> But if, if, if I'm, if I'm like, okay, I need, I need to learn from you. I need to watch you do it. I need, I need you to walk me, you know, step by step. That's, that's how you learn. You have to be close enough. And sometimes I don't even want to learn. I just want him to do it for me. My dad, can you come fix this for me real quick? I, I don't know how to do it. And then he'll be in there. He'll work, he'll work on it. I'll be like, all right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be over here. You know, call me, call me when it's ready. All right. That's, that's not how you learn. You have to be close enough. And so when Solomon was asking God for wisdom, it required him to be close enough to God to understand things and to learn. 
When it, when, whenever you're in a family battle, keep God close. Keep him close and wisdom will produce it. If, if you're in leadership, you know, as a pastor, I mean, I have to keep God close because I am not wise enough to do this without God. Now, some people run the other direction in moments of trial and then they run back when everything's good again. But if you've never learned how to keep God close in those moments, you're never going to grow. You're never going to learn. I want, I want to go back real quick to this, this uh, contrast between spiritual and natural people. Okay? You still with me? Yeah. All right. We're spiritual in as much as the Holy Spirit possesses us, right? As, as believers, the Holy Spirit, he dwells in the life of every believer. This is why if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in here. You can't be dim, you're not going to be demon possessed because the Holy Spirit has already claimed ownership on your life. If the Holy Spirit is in here, no demon is going to kick him out. No demon is strong enough to be like, move out the way, Holy Spirit. Uh-uh. Okay? So, so we, are, we are spiritual in the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. But you can still walk in the natural. This is why Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Greek word for grieve is lipeo. And it, it, it means to cause severe mental or emotional distress. That's what we do when we grieve the Holy Spirit. We cause him severe mental or emotional distress. And it's not because the Holy Spirit is sensitive to darkness. It's not because, you know, when you're walking in the flesh, the Holy Spirit's like, oh, I know I can't take it. It's too strong for me. No, no. God will slap a demon, right? Like it's, it's not like that. Okay. He's grieved for you. He's sorry for you because he's like, I thought you changed. I thought I called you out of this already. I thought you repented from this. I thought you learned from this. I thought you grew from this. I'm sorry for you. You're making me sad. I'm not sad for myself. The Holy Spirit is sad for you because he knows that he has called you to be greater. He has called you to be a a victor and you're still being a slave to the things that he called you out of. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves him. It grie- I, I, I feel sorry and sad for my, for my children when they do something that I know they're better. You're better than that. Why'd you do that? You're better than, have you, why haven't you learned yet? So, so whenever something triggers you and you react out of emotion, you listening? Whenever something triggers you and you react out of emotion instead of the Holy Spirit, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Why does it grieve the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit's right there being like, man, you could have chose me. I'm right here. I'm in your heart. You've got access to me, but instead you picked up anger. Instead you picked up, you picked up uh, uh, envy. You picked up revenge. See, we all have a choice, a weapon of choice in how we operate sometimes. And sometimes we choose the Spirit And other times we choose the natural. What is it? What makes you choose anything but the spirit? Only you know. And maybe your wife knows. And your spouse knows. Maybe your kids know. For me, you know, I'm quick to choose the spirit when it comes to like a a personal attack. Like if you talk about me, if you, if you, you know, if it's a personal offense, I'm good. Can't hurt my feelings. I'll choose the spirit. I forgive you, bro. 
But if you come at my wife, if you come at my kids and, and, and you hurt them, bro, I will, I will cut you. I will want to cut you <laughs> at the very least. And it's going to take a while before I, I like you again. I'll choose my emotion in that moment. I was, I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about Moses. Um, you know, when the people of God, they were testing Moses. Sometimes you just got some testy people, man, testy people in your family, in your, in your social environment, in your, in your church, you know, this just, they were testing him and, and they were complaining to him. It's in numbers 20, if you want to read it. Um, but you know, they were saying, you know, the usual, like, why'd you bring us here to die? You should just left us in Egypt, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and Moses, he was probably real tired of hearing the same thing over and over. You're still complaining about this, bro, grow up. We're here. But to make matters worse, this, this is a time where, where Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, she had just passed away. Miriam's, uh, uh, Moses' sister just died. And so I imagine Moses, you know, his, his, his stress levels is a little bit higher. His emotions are a little bit higher. His frustrations a little bit, you know, higher than normal. And these people are testing him. So he's, pr- he's probably like right there on the edge. Ooh, somebody else says something, something else. I'm going to lose it. And so they're complaining because they don't have anything to drink. And, and, and God says, okay, uh, tell the rock. I want you to tell the rock to yield water. Just command it. And the, and the people of God will see that I am Jehovah Jireh. I, I am their provider. All you have to do is speak to the rock, tell the rock. It's all good. And so Moses, he gets before the assembly and and, and what does he say? He says, listen, you rebels, shall we bring water from you from this rock? I kind of think of like Maximus from Gladiator. Like, are you not entertained? You know, like, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but like, that's how I imagine. Like he's all hardcore, like with the sword. Are you not entertained? And, and the Bible says that he strikes the rock. He strikes it. He doesn't tell it. He strikes it. He hits it. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word means to attack. He attacked the rock. God, hey, God said, speak to it. Speak to it calmly, firmly, boldly, with authority. But you abused it. You acted out of not patience, not faith. You acted out of anger. You chose your emotion before me. And then God, what does God tell Moses? What's the punishment for this? You can't, you're not going to enter the promised land. That's, that's a pretty like hardcore punishment. I mean, if, if I'm, if I'm like Aaron, you know, Moses, like right hand, I'm telling God, God, I mean, this is a guy who, who left, he left Midian to go back to Egypt, to deal with Pharaoh, to deal with these people to, he's, he's, I mean, he's been obedient. Come on, just give him a chance. Like, why are you going to shut him out of the promised land? When he was just having a moment of weakness in his emotion, I think, you know, God, God has certain standards for, for leaders. And I think that God was sending this message, powerful message through Moses. You cannot lead out of emotion. You cannot lead out of emotion. If you try to lead out of emotion, it will destroy you and it will destroy the people that you lead. And in the same way, when we're trying to lead our lives out of emotion instead of the Holy Spirit, our destruction is on its way because you'll, you can never get to the next level 
that God has for you. God wants you to elevate. God wants to give you a little bit more. God, want, God wants you to... God wants you to speak to people. He wants you to teach people. He wants you to preach. He wants you to pastor. He wants you to sing. But you're still, your way of thinking is still down here. And you react too much out of emotion and you're not led by the spirit. I I, I think I shared, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but I I shared it at one point uh, during the sermon where there was a there was a period in my life where I was always I was angry as I preached. I was angry when I led because, you know, as, as a pastor, as a, as a worship leader, you want to see you want to see people respond. Right. You want you want you want the praise to fill the room. Or as a preacher, you want people to get it. Right. Like like when I think about when you're telling your kids something like you want you want to know that they're receiving it. If they're just looking at you like this, that's going to make you mad. And sometimes I look at y'all, not, not anymore because the lights really blind me up here. So I praise God for that. But, but sometimes like I, I would get, I'd get angry because I'm like, God, are they getting this? And I would preach out of anger. I would preach out of frustration. And then I heard, I heard a preacher say this um, because I shared it with him. And he said he experienced the exact same thing. That he was always preaching and it was always coming off so, so just, just so ugly. Like he was, just in a, he was just in an angry place. And then he said, the Holy Spirit said, I called you to preach to people, not to police people. And so that brought me conviction. And I don't preach out of anger anymore. Not most times. Because my emotion is not going to get me anywhere. I'm going to lose it in my emotion. But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit takes over and when he's leading you, great things happen, man. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm about to wrap up. I'll have the band come up. A couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I preached a message on giving God your heart. Remember that one? If you, if you were here, I talked about giving God your heart because the heart represents what? Treasure. It represents everything that you care about, everything that's near and dear to you. It represents your desire. And so whenever you're giving God your heart, you're giving him everything. You're giving him control. And you're saying, God, take over my heart and make it yours. But you know what? Sometimes I think for some people, it takes more work to give God your mind than it does your heart. Because because you use more of your mind than you do your heart. Maybe Jesus is in your heart, but I know he's not in every one of your thoughts. Maybe, maybe if you had to think about it for a while, right? If you were, if you were trying to make a decision and, and, and you thought about it for a while and you consoled with people and, and you asked the Holy Spirit, maybe you would make the right decision. But in the heat of the moment, if he doesn't always have your mind, you're going to react in the natural. Giving God your heart. I want you to, if you haven't heard anything else, hear this. Giving God your heart will save you. Giving God your mind will mature you. This is why Paul tells Timothy, he says, you, Timothy, as a leader, as a pastor, are to be sober minded. He says, you can't have anything clouding your judgment because it takes wisdom to lead. Paul wasn't talking about alcohol because when we think about, you know, sober, we think about alcohol. I mean, alcohol clouds your judgment, but that's not what Paul was talking about here. Paul, Paul was talking about the, the broader context of Paul was saying to Timothy was he was talking about suffering. Paul was, Paul was in prison 
He was about to be executed for everything that he's done in the faith, for the gospel. He's about to die. And now he's telling Timothy, you're probably going to experience the things I have experienced. You're probably going to get beaten. You're probably going to be hated. You are going to suffer for the work of Christ. And that suffering is going to produce mental battles and a lot of emotion that are designed to cloud your judgments. But you have to rise above it and be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. And man, I know that when you're in a storm, it's hard not to just think about the storm. And if you're in a marital battle, the marital battle is probably what you, what you see at night when you close your eyes, probably what you dream about. You know, I was, I was sharing a few weeks ago that, that several years ago, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't getting paid. Like we, we, were, we were in a moment of our life of just of, of financial hardship, like hardcore hardship. And there, there was a few weeks where I, I just, I wasn't getting paid. My wife wasn't working. And I would get up here tr- with that on my mind, trying to preach a message of faith. That's hard. It's hard. I know I under, what I'm saying is I understand that, that life, it gets you emotional. It gets you angry. It gets you sad. It gets you stressed out and frustrated. But so many times we allow those things to lead us. And all we do is keep running into a wall. We can't, we can't advance because we haven't surrendered our minds to the Holy Spirit. And I think some of us are still thinking, some of us in this room, we're still thinking in the natural. We're still thinking in the natural about certain things. You're still being led by emotions. We're Numa Church, right? But what is what is our thing to be? What move, led, and empowered not by our emotions, not by our ambitions, not by what we want, not by what you want, by the Holy Spirit. And I understand that sometimes in our emotions. We react and we allow those things to drive our decisions. But that keeps us from growing in God. Because when a trigger comes and you react in the same way, you've always reacted since the day that you came to Christ. And God wants to remind you today, I have given you my spirit. I've given you my spirit, which gives you access to my mind. The spirit of God is in this place. And sometimes I love that. I love that song. I I will make room for you because it's such a, it's such a humbling song. When you actually say it with all your heart, I will make room for you. Meaning I will, I will remove the junk. I will remove the excess. I will remove the, the, the fluff and the things that I hold on to and the things that I cling to and the things that I run to. I'm removing it to make room for you. And I believe so many people in this room, you've already made room for God in your heart and he dwells in your heart. But what about your mind? What are you still thinking about? What, what are you dwelling on this morning that's probably not even allowed you to focus on the sermon? I want you to hear me this morning. God wants your mind. He wants your thoughts because you with your thoughts, me with my thoughts, I, I, can't, I can't control them well enough. I can't handle them well enough like God can. In my thoughts, I dwell a little bit too long on things that I shouldn't dwell on. 
And God says, I want you to surrender your thoughts. I want you to surrender your mind because I've given you the mind of Christ. I've called you to see people with love. Stop hating on people. Stop hating on people. Stop being mad with people. Stop being mad. Stop being angry with people. Remember, remember all the offenses that you've, that you've made for me. I have given you compassion. I've given you the mind of Christ. Stop worrying. Stop stressing this morning. That's all you do is you think about, you think about the stress. You think about the how, how am I going to make it? How, how, how am I going to make it next week? You're worrying too much. We have some surrendering to do this morning. I want you to stand with me. Yes, Lord. Can we just sing that song together? Lord, do whatever you want to, my God. Give you permission. We give you permission, my God, to invade our thoughts, Lord. I'm tired of thinking this way. I'm tired of the worry, God. I'm tired of the stress, my God. I'm tired of the insecurities, my God. I'm tired of the anger, my God. I'm I'm tired of the emotion, Lord. Come on, this morning, I I don't want this just to be another sermon, man. If, If this is for you, and if you've been dealing with your own thoughts, you have been in your own head, I want you to come forward this morning and I want you to surrender those thoughts. I want you to surrender your worry. I want you to surrender your doubt. I want you to surrender whatever it is, whatever's been clogging your mind, whatever is making you react in a way that is not spiritual. Come and surrender it this morning. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at My Numa Church. Thanks again and God bless.